This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your today, joined by Chris Beasley, Paul Wheeler, and Gav Buckland to look back on Everton's disappointment 2-0 Premier League defeat to Tottenham Hotspur at the weekend, and of course, look ahead to Wednesday's huge game against Newcastle United to St James's Park. Saturday's game unfortunately followed a familiar theme for Everton so far this season, in which chances weren't taken and mistakes were punished. Bees, I'll start with you because you was at the London Stadium yeah. for the Echo on Saturday evening. It was a case of that, wasn't it? It was a familiar theme for the Blues. Chances not taken when it mattered most yeah. and mistakes punished. Yeah, very frustrating in that. In many ways, it, it, it was it was um it was shaping up for a long time to look like quite a classic um away performance against very talented opposition, we all know. Tottenham Hotspur, Champions League side, they're up there again this season, the top end of the table. But for almost an hour, um, Everton contained them. Um, it was, you know, it was more backs against the wall. It was mostly Tottenham going forward and Everton having to defend resolutely. But for all of that, as you say, Everton had carved open um, Tottenham Hotspur twice and created the two, by far the two best opportunities, goal-scoring opportunities in the first half. Damari um, Gray missed his and then... Amadou Anana on, on the counter-attack. Um, the frustrating thing was neither of them were on target. At least, you know, make the keeper work for it. And if, if just one of those had gone in, you know, that would have been, you know, Everton with their tails up and something to build on. And and in the second half, I suppose, we're obviously going to come to the crucial penalty incident further on. But yeah, the, the fact that Everton hadn't taken those two clear-cut opportunities was really frustrating. And like you say, I'd have to see with the mistakes that, that followed that. And for as much as it was um, day and night compared to, I mean, I was fortunate or unfortunate enough to have been there. Yeah. Um, last season when it was 5-0 and you know, within that same time period, less than an hour, Tottenham were 5-0 up and declared and what was, you know, a, a watershed moment for Frank Lampard that we spoke of in, ahead of this game and, you know, he decided, you know, he couldn't play his way out of trouble. So, yeah, while it was night and day compared to that, it was really frustrating because the fact that Everton went there a much more resolute outfit, a much improved outfit, but ultimately came back with the, the same rewards, i.e. nothing. Gav B's used the word frustrating there. I think that was the main feeling, wasn't it, from Everton fans on Saturday night? It was, it was another frustrating outing for the Blues because, you know, they they didn't take the chances and they got punished for mistakes, which, you know, like we've, we've said before, it's been a familiar theme so far this season. Yeah, I mean, frustrating for me in terms of, like, our lack of imagination, I think. Uh, to be honest with you, both when we were in the first half and in, in the second half when we were behind, um, we didn't have a did we have a shot on target in the entire game? Very few yeah. touches in the opposition box. That that was the frustrating thing. And at some point, you know, you can only hold out for so long. And you, you, for somebody with Spurs' ability, and we know what the the, the the attacking potential is. At some point, they're probably going to score, aren't they? Um, and the frustrating thing for me from Saturday, which I, I do get that the chances thing in the half time, it was, it was you know, we'd done well in the in, in containment. But the frustrating thing was that when we went one nil behind, we didn't appear to have a plan B. You know, we just carried on playing the way we had done, and we made a few substitutions, but not to have it. I mean, you're doing well for the game of Premier League football to go 45 minutes without having an attempt on goal. Like we did on uh, on Saturday in the second half, and and that was that was the frustrating thing for me. In addition to yeah, in addition to what Chris is saying there, that I mean, I, I think is it the last five goals we've conceded four have been errors and one's been a deflection. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Well, they yeah. haven't. One thing I've ever seen is the goal this season. After where you generally go, that was a great goal. Yeah, that yeah. Goal. And, and, <laughs> that's actually, in some respects, that's good to hear, isn't it? <laughs> you know, that, that's, that that is a positive. Um, but the frustrating, the, the frustrating thing was, you go goal behind, and you're thinking, you know, we need to change things around a bit, show a bit more imagination and a bit more positivity. But we just carried on playing in the same way. In some respects, we got worse, didn't we, as the game went on. And that was that was the frustrating thing. Having said that, no Everton manager's beaten Spurs in, in, in front of a crowd since Moyes. So, let's face it, it wasn't an unexpected result, was it? You know, not our season's not going to be defined by a 2-0 defeat at Spurs, is it? It's going to be defined in some respects. I'm going to talk about this at some point, obviously, between the games between now and the, the World Cup. They're, they're all big games, aren't they, for us? Milo, what, what was the most disappointing aspect of the game for you on Sastics? Obviously, the lads have touched on it there in terms of the mistakes, you know, lack of imagination. What was the most disappointing aspect for you on Saturday? Was, was you alarmed by anything? Not, not alarmed because it didn't really come as a surprise. You know, I think we spoke about the lack of creativity a number of times in recent weeks. It was just, it felt from the moment Kane put the penalty away that we weren't getting back into it. I don't think that the team were resigned to losing there, but it, it just, even the United game up until those final four or five minutes, you didn't feel like a goal was coming. And it might have a lot to do with the standard of the opposition, but. I just felt there was a certain inevitability about it, really. And it's it, it's it's tough because, as Gav rightly says, you know, we've rightly praised the defensive solidity that we've shown throughout this season. But, you know, being honest, a lot of the time it was Pickford saving us, wasn't it? I think we haven't conceded many goals, but we're grateful to some heroics on the keeper. And at some point, you know, your keeper's going to make a mistake like he did on Saturday. Uh, so you can't... You can't rely solely on that. And I can understand why Frank Lampard tried to, you know, cling to the positive afterwards because I suppose the game plan was working up until that penalty, up until uh, Pickford's mistake. But at some at some stage, and it's very hard, Tottenham are a really good team, got better, a lot better options than us going forward. At some stage, we're going to have to just be a bit more braver, I think, and, and, and be a bit more clever in terms of opening up, trying to open teams up. But... As we've said many times, this is it's going to be slow progress. This one, so it's not a, a result to to get an alarm by or a performance to get alarmed by, but it was just another bit of a reminder for me just how how much work is still got to be done. Please, we've got to come to it because it was the main talking point from the game. What the award of the penalty that that Tottenham got just in 10, 15 minutes into the yeah. second half. Obviously, Harry Kane goes down under Jordan Pickford's challenge. Seems to divide opinion. I think we can safe to say between yeah. you know um, supporters. Online and kind of in the ground. What was your thoughts? Do you think it was a penalty? Was you surprised yeah. VAR didn't overrule it? Yeah, it was okay. It was a grey area. It obviously, was. Um, I mean, there's, there's there's sort of arguments both ways, and then I understand Jordan Pickford put himself into trouble, obviously with the initial spilling of the ball, and then the fact that uh, now he the way he went, he went and then Kane. He allowed he allowed Harry Kane to manipulate the situation and i think harry kane was going down whether jordan was touching him or not and uh yeah he was anticipating contact and yeah he, he was he was ready to 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 go down and then what, what whatever happened and that made uh, the referee have a decision to make i was just surprised he didn't at least get a, a second look on var because i think it was a gray area that could have gone 
either way. So just to say, obviously they review all decisions, VAR, but the fact that they didn't have the referee called Tierney going over and looking on the screen, I thought it was at least worth a second look. Um, but yeah, again, Everton have sort of played them way into trouble. But the problem is that, do we just accept those now? Do you like, no, like, okay, it wasn't a blatant, like Rodri's handball. We say, yeah, that, you know, is an obvious penalty. It could go either way. I just thought, it was it was a grey enough area to at least deserve a second look, and it just seems almost typical that okay, now we're happy with that, and, and we'll go that decision. I can see it, arguments with, in both ways, but I felt it it was ambiguous enough for at least to, for the referee to go and have a look on the monitor. So I was surprised it didn't happen. I was surprised it didn't happen, but then I wasn't surprised because certain inevitability about it whether Everton not getting those decisions. Gav, was you surprised that I think the referee didn't go and have a look at the monitor and, and review the instance or? You just think oh, it was possibly the, the, the reason being, I believe, I think did Joe say about this during the game that there was no evidence that there was a clear and obvious error. Yeah, they didn't before. believe it was, it was basically the wrong call, the totally wrong call had been made. Yeah, yeah, it's let's face it, that that's selective. Yeah, isn't it really? <laughs> you know, I, mean, I can't I, I can't remember that happening too many times in VAR to be honest with you over. You know, over the past year or so. I mean, having said that, I'm going to say it was a penalty for me. I've not got a problem with it. I think that it depends what angle. If you're looking at the angle where Pickford and Kane are looking at the camera, then you're thinking, oh, Harry's taking a bit of a dive there. But if you look at look at behind, you know, but there's a there's a case that Cody clips Kane's boots, isn't it, for the start? And Jordan, quite clearly, his arm and his head both goes into Kane's legs. Okay, Kane sort of. Makes a meal of it, but it's clear contact there, you know. And Kane goes to Granada. I, I don't. I, I get. I get. You know, we all have our prejudices and sort of be all. Oh, we never got that penalty last year against Spurs or Charleston, and so therefore that's not a penalty. But as an isolated incident, if you're asking me on Saturday, that was a penalty. It was clear penalty. I mean, Pickford. Pickford. It's clear contact with Pickford and Kane. Absolutely. And Kane goes down. Penalty. I've not got a problem with that. I mean, the fact that Jordan really didn't kick up a fuss, or indeed did many other Everton players nearby, like Cody was standing right behind it, you know, indicates to me that they they knew what had gone on. So I've not got a problem. I, I, do, I don't think even if gone to VAR, it would have been overturned anyway, to be honest with you. If you see the camera angle from behind, quite clearly contact, and, and not just a slight brush. Having said that, Things always in, in slow motion. Always things always look far worse than what they are in real time, isn't it? What looks like clear contact in slow motion is actually in that speed isn't. But as I, to me, well, I'm a penalty. If it had been put this way, if it had been an if that had been Carver Lewin or Mopay got cleared up, you know, tackled by Loris, I mean, not got a penalty. It would have been going mad. Just just on what you said there, Gav, because you think this comes back to the argument of. The way they slow things down, and then sometimes they watch the slow, super slow or replay, and yeah. it looks different at normal time. I think that that comes back to that argument, and VAR should be looking at it in one speed and one speed only because all this slowing down and well, super speed just yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get that overall, but the referee saw it in real time. They give a penalty, you know. So you see, you've seen enough contact there, uh, and the officials have seen enough contact there to say it's a penalty. So I've not, I've not got a problem with it. I'm more concerned that was Pickford's error. You know, and he's made very few, but crucial stage in the game, isn't it? Was it, what was it, 60 minutes, was it? Goal. Just under the hour mark, yeah. 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 
you've got an hour and it's goalless, and you get to an hour and it's goalless, and they're a bit fidgety, aren't they? And you're thinking, you know, the there's a chance here we could see this out, or that actually that you know they could make another mistake and we can break. The, the timing of it was was not ideal by Jordan. It, it, to be fair, possibly he's not made a mistake leading to a goal since the five 0 at Spurs, and he let, let Son's shot go underneath him at there last year. You know, it's largely as we know being in top form in that time. But it was a bad mistake at the wrong time in the game, wasn't it? Really. And that was the disappointing thing for me, not the uh, the actual penalty decision itself, you know, and uh, that changed. I mean, going back to my initial point is, it going back to me talking about, like, disappointing things is, Evan at the moment, but a bit like, you know, that, like that boxing thing, everybody's got a plan when you walk into the ring until they get a punch in the face. <laughs> <laughs> we're, a bit, we're a bit like that, aren't we? We've got a plan until the opposition score. And, and that was, I think, you know, and, and that, that changed it, didn't it, really? Pick the data. It changed the plans, didn't it? Unnecessarily so. They, as you said, Connor, like, if he'd have scored a, a world, he son had put one in from 30 yards or something, he said, okay. The fact it was pick the data made it even worse for me. Um, and that, that was that was the disappointing part of that that whole incident, not the, the, the penalty decision itself. We all know it's the big thing, isn't it, in many respects? Because if Jordan Pickford, you know, saves the shots and, and keeps holds the ball like we expect him to, and I'm sure he expects himself to do, then we're not having this conversation about the penalty. You know, it's not, it's not doesn't doesn't come to light today, and that's again the most disappointing thing for Frank Lampard, isn't it? Is that one of his senior stars has made a mistake at the at the worst possible time? Yeah, I think it's it's like the the I was like B said earlier. I thought it might even be worth just a shout or a, you know a bit of advice to maybe go check it out. But maybe that's influenced by our own bias thinking, or not even that. You know, Everton. I think it's fair to say, even without our Everton hats on, have been on the wrong end of some shocking VAR decisions over the over the recent seasons. But yeah, you, you know, you've you, you, you've got to think you forgive Pickford because certainly at the back end of the last season and as many games this season, he's been. The difference between you know a win and a West Ham draws, you know, he's been so important to us. But yeah, it, it, it's it, it's it's more concerning for me what happened. Not concerning, but it's more. It's just it's more. I don't even know worrying is too strong a word, but it's just what happened after that, really. And it's I think that's got that's it's it's tough because Frank's you know this is his first full season in the job. Obviously, it was a lot about balancing the books. I think he did brilliantly to. Get the amount of good players in that him and Kevin Ware fell well did in the summer, given you know the resources and having to sell Richarlison. But it's probably what maybe not certainly this week Tottenham, Newcastle, and then United before them. But in time, we need to see an evolution, you know, in in, in the in, in the style of the team that you know there isn't just a plan A really. I don't, I don't think any of us are expecting us to go there and take the game to a, a team as good as Tottenham under Conte, but. We just need to see a little bit more, you know, in the, in, the, in the coming months to come. It might be later this season, but uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the I say, I thought it might have been worth a call, but you know, I don't think that was the story of the game for me. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Bees, obviously, you know, in terms of Evans' performance and you know the lads have touched on it there, but it is becoming increasingly clear, is it that? Everton have got attacking problems, you know, they yeah. they may be able to contain teams and, and defend and dig in deep, but, you know, they think they've scored one, more than once once this season in any game, and it's, it's a real problem, and I think the big problem for Frank Lampard and, and probably his staff is, 
the return of Dominic Calvert Lewin just doesn't solve that problem, does he? Or that issue? No, um, like you say, yeah, it was only at Southampton, and ironically, um, obviously at lesser opposition, but it was only a fortnight ago we were saying, you know, that this showed the, the, the change at Everton now, the fact that they can come back from 1 0, whereas last season that'd be game over, you know, they can come back and win these games. Obviously, it's different, Tottenham are much better. Um, opponents, yeah, but it was the way you, like the lads have said, how they reacted to that or didn't in that it was okay containing them. Yes, they carved out these two clear-cut opportunities on the counter-attack at 0-0, not taking them. But when they were chasing the game at, at 1-0, Calvert-Lewin came on and just weren't getting the service up to him. The same way Neil Mopay's been um, feeding on scraps in recent weeks. He's had hardly anything to, to go off. Once you get that focal point on there, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, someone who's got a great aerial presence, the wingers need to change their games and they need to be whipping the crosses into the box for Calvert-Lewin to attack. And, and, and like I said, there was, there was none of that. Um, it is concerning, yes, Everton are a much more resolute defensive unit. Surely they're going to concede much fewer goals than last season. But you're just concerned where the goals are going to come from, especially if the likes, you know, Gray has missed quite a few clear-cut opportunities now. Even Anana's a chances. Hopefully, once he gets one, it'll be sooner rather than later, he can maybe... Sort of have the the confidence to go on and uh, have that sort of presence, add that to his game because you know he's such a dominant figure in other areas. But yeah, there doesn't look to be. We've discussed this on the podcast before. It doesn't need to be seem to be a, a lot of um, goals in this side, which, which is a concern. And is obviously one of the things Frank said about those attacking midfielders to get the the, the numbers up. Be that McNeil, Gray, or Anthony Gordon when he comes back into the side. Gav B's touched on the wingers there, but there's also an argument now. It's not someone over the weekend about this in that. It's clear Everton are lacking a, a creative centre midfielder. You know, Onana, Guy have had a real grit and steel to the to the midfield, but well, where we'll be alongside them, there's not much creativity there, and there's not there's not a player who can put his foot on the ball and, and make things happen and retain possession and look to get Everton in behind. Yeah, this goes back to points I've made twice in the last month on on the pod. Is that of of a of a balanced midfield three, you need somebody who's going to protect the back four who can who can pass the ball. You need somebody who's maybe a little bit responsible is box to box, and then you need somebody who's a, who's a genuine you know attacking midfielder, say like an Arteta figure or something like that. Um, and I'd argue at the moment the only one of those three roles that we're filling is probably Onana as like a box to box player. I suggested the other week that actually I think if you brought Garner as in James Garner. As a, as a as a six, who I think can pass the ball, is, is a lot more effective in possession from what I've seen than uh, Garner guy. I think that might resolve one of the issues, but that still leaves the attacking midfielder position open for grab because up for grabs because we, we we haven't got one. And I know people say, well, I will be, yeah, it was his three assists and stuff. And, and Alex has played, you know, largely being very good this season, but he's like a, he's like a deep lion. Midfielder, isn't he really? Um, and I think, I think, on, we're always going to struggle until we can get somebody in that that area of the pitch who's got a little bit of guile, a bit, little bit of imagination in and around the opposition box to open things up. And and that's hindering our hindering our attacking output at the moment. You know, but I, it goes back to what I was saying before. But I can see why maybe we are now because Frank's obviously said at the start of the season. I want not concede. I want a midfield that's going to be rigid and is going to be disciplined 
and is, is also going to stop the opposition playing to, to a degree. So we can see why we are where we are, but the place we pay for that is up the other end of the pitch. We don't really offer that much. And um, that that's something that we need to develop, isn't it, between now and the end of the season? Might be something in January. But we do, but we do need something up there, don't we? Somebody with a little bit of imagination and, and flair in the final third, which we, we just haven't got at the moment. And mate, where, let's face it, Having said that, if our wide players were playing to form mm. and and doing what would they have done for us in the past, we maybe wouldn't be having this conversation, would we? Mm-hmm. You know, if 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 Tamari Gray was playing now like he started last season, if Anthony Gordon was showing some of his best form like he did last season, and McNeil had settled in, we we probably you'd probably be creating a lot more. So I think it's the midfield plus. The wide players are, you know, just not not doing it. Do are they really? Felt sorry for McNeil on Saturday because he got pilloried in some quarters, but he was effectively, and no son the match of the day lineup. He was down as left back, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. You know, so well, if, you look, if you look at stats defensively, he was outstanding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Going forward, like, he, he done nothing, which probably yeah. showed. Yeah, was it, was it Leeds? Yeah, Leeds was the same, wasn't it? Leeds away. So I mean, don't think. You can say, oh, the lack of attack and Treffer and McNeil was down to poor form. It was really where Frank wanted them to play. So, yeah, I, I, I say the midfield have been going on about for five, five weeks or six weeks. Uh, definitely needs strengthening at the back of the midfield and the front of midfield. And but it would be helpful if our wide players uh, contributed a bit more. We we might only be ten games into the season. You know, this don't want to get too. Too negative, but do you always think there's an argument that Everton in general become a little bit too predictable? That people can now see what they're going to do a mile off, and and you know the, the, it's easy to defend against, and and ultimately you know if, if a team gets a goal, Everton perhaps are going to struggle. The first time I felt like that was United last week. It's the first time this season that I, I thought, uh, sorry, yeah, it was last weekend before last uh, that we'd been worked out, you know, and I think as Gav rightly says so much emphasis is placed on our two wide players. You know, there are other teams, the one across from the park for many years had a fairly functional midfield and they didn't score many goals from midfield. And obviously we're blessed with two brilliant fullbacks, which I think we've got good fullbacks. You know, I think Coleman's done well since he's come back in. Michelangelo's solid, but they're not particularly attacking forces, are they, any of the players? So if we don't have that creativity in the middle of the park, bar from probably a Wobie at times, a lot of emphasis is placed on those two wide players and I think as I think we spoke on the podcast last Monday they were both marked out of the game fairly well particularly Gordon against United and Gray you know I I, I really like Gray I probably I, he's, the, he's one of the one Everton players I really really enjoy seeing because I think he's so graceful with the ball he's two-footed he's he's exciting but what really lets him down is his end product you know like this even when he has quiet games like he had on Saturday he still creates something and I think that's the reason why Lampard starts with him more often than not and quite often finishes the game with him you know we've seen quite often that it's Gordon who gets hooked uh, when there's made a change but it's it's his end product you know it's 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 not desperate but you know for a player of his quality it should be a lot better and I think the chance on on Saturday was, you know, was proof positive of that. Like, he really, really should have taken it, which, you know, like Anana, it could, it could have changed the game in the same way that Pickford's mistake changed the game. It's just difficult because 
you know, yeah, yeah we, we we probably are a bit predictable, and that's why a lot of our games we're just going to try and keep it solid and nick it like we did against West Ham. Uh, because you just look at the bench, and there's not many ways you can change it. You know, Townsend's out injured. McNeil is probably that best option, and I think yeah, at the moment his best performances would be defensive rather than offensive. I just wonder. I know Joe Thomas spoke to Morpai after the game, didn't he? he? Did a couple of pieces on our site last night and this morning. He kind of touched in one of them about maybe potentially playing Calvert Lewin because if we are coming a bit predictable and our wingers are out of a bit of form, which is which is you know is normal, is it is it maybe a chance to to go two up top? Because I feel for Morpai, I really do because I think he's fed on scraps the last couple of games, uh, and when I seen him play for Brighton. I even think I've seen him from Brentford a few times, actually. Uh, he was in a... He, he's, a he's like a link-up player, and they were obviously both very inventive teams in a way that I don't think Everton are under Lampard at the moment. He's actually a really good footballer who can link-up play between good players around him. I don't think we're getting the best out of Warpy at the moment. I don't think he's a, a target man, and if we're going to continue playing like that, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe if Dom's fit enough, if not Newcastle, certainly Palace at the weekend... Is there a way of playing two up top or maybe playing more pie in a more, more withdrawn role? Because, yeah, you, you've probably got a, a, a point, Connor. I think certainly the last couple of games, we, we look like we've been, uh, we've, we've, we've looked predictable. We are going to come on to Calvert Luna and more pie playing together. But, B, I just want to ask you because you've obviously seen a lot of the Blues this season, but we've enjoyed the game to all away in, in the flesh and live. And Michael Bortles on this in his column in the mm-hmm. last week where he said, now the pressure's on Frank to come up with different ways and different yeah. tactics to, to, to make this team kind of more a threat basically yeah. you know he, he's had his kind of excuses last season for yeah. trying to stay up this season with the injuries and and more new people in that's the big challenge i was in for frank lampard he's got to go up with a plan b mm-hmm. he's got to go up with some sort of way in which everton can change up and not become that predictable easy to play against side yeah well, i suppose he, he has done that in the um he started this the season with the the three four three switch that's the four three three now and as, as paul's just been saying there maybe there's a chance to go with with two up top i mean Calvert Lewin played with a, a partner. I mean, a, a generation ago, it was de rigueur. Uh, everyone played with two up top, and it was often a big man, small man, like Mopay and Calvert Lewin would be. You know, you'd have that target man, you'd have those smaller, more mobile man alongside him, and everyone played like that. But, it, you know, since like um, last sort of decade and a half or whatever, you know, you, you seldom see that. But Everton have played that way in recent years. Calvert Lewin's had Richarlison alongside him. And to be fair, I was looking at Mopey last season at Brighton. He often had a, a strike partner alongside him. And the various formations, because of course, Graham Potter play all kinds of formations, but a lot of them did incorporate two strikers in there. So yeah, that definitely could be a way to go and sort of utilise them. If, the, if there is so few goals coming through in other areas of the teams, trying to find a way to get two strikers onto the pitch. I think Frank Lampard's always wanted to do that. He is a tactically versatile coach. It's just what it's the tools he's got at his disposal when he first came into the club. You know, he's struggling to get two central midfielders onto the pitch, never mind three. And the fact that now there's actually quite a few options in that area, you know, that's because of the reinforcements he's brought in. You know, we're actually looking for a way of how do you actually uh, bring James Garner into the team because it seems very obvious that they want to do that. They've been talking him up in recent weeks, both Lampard and um, the rest of his staff. They Paul seem Clemens, to, yeah, Paul Clemens Clemens as well, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the, there's got to be a ways over a season that, you know, you can mix it up. You can't, as I say, become too predictable. And I certainly think that there are options in that respect for Everton. And it, and it, and it could be good to get the two of them on the pitch, certainly sometimes. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gav, 
do you almost think, though, in a way that given the up midfield options Frank Lampard gets as got as disposal, he's against playing two centre fours because that means he's got to take one out of the team and he's already got you know three or four on the bench most weeks. Do you think that it's just where the squad is, is is kind of almost made up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so in other words, like we play four four two, so we lose. You're gonna lose one of the midfielders then, haven't midfielders, you? Yeah. <laughs> the, other, the other alternative is you play three five two, you play three at the back and play five across the, the middle with two wing backs and three midfielders. So that that's that's one of your options there, isn't it, really? And and I think I think that, that would still I mean, because if you play Cavaloon up front, you need service from that wide, don't you? Mm. And I think that's 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 essential. There's, there's, I mean, one of the options I thought about is is you have like play that like that classic three four three, but you actually have like two two central midfielders and in front of them two other midfielders, you know, and then a strikers and then two two people at wide. So um, yeah, I think if you did that, we'd have to go three at the back. I'm just, I'm just think I'm just thinking if you went three at the black, you'd play Michalenko, wouldn't you, really? As a as, as a left left side of the left side of centre half, I'm, I'm increasingly convinced that he's going to be more of a centre half than a fullback, given his characteristics. Um, and I think um, I think that that could work definitely. Um, and E wide men would be there, you know. I mean, that, that that's the point, isn't it? Really, it's all right saying that oh, we keep the three, three midfielders. Well, who's your drop? We went three five two. You probably have to have McNeil. There's probably. Well, he's more defensive. He's more probably capable of doing the both sides of the role. Yeah, isn't he? yeah, yeah. <laughs> McNeil and but that's, the new Jeff Wise, right? Well, you'd have Patterson, wouldn't you? If it, yes, yeah, which means there's no place in the team for for Gray and no place in the team for Gordon. So you you, you in that system, you got a choice: having a Connor lose a midfielder or use a or lose a lose two wide men, really. <laughs> I I I'd go three five two. I don't think four four two would work with uh, with with our resources, and um, I I definitely go. I definitely go three five two. I think you make that work. It's two centre forwards, though something that you'd like to see, though, Gav, moving forward. You know, well, we said, we said get, that, didn't we? It take it's almost taking the game to the opposition a little bit more than having the one up, having two up there going to occupy them, and it almost to take the game to the opposition a little bit more than what we what we've seen so far. Yeah, I, I think Bees has just said, hasn't he? You know, not ne- necessarily every game, but certainly some games. Definitely, um, because we're just not posing an, an, an attack and threat. And I think he's just spoken about there, haven't you, about us being easy to play against because Frank has really got no plan B or imagination, perhaps, which is quite understandable, certainly in terms of imagination, because. I think he just wants to keep things solid and consistent, but that is a way of mixing it up, isn't it? I think, but we we've got to um, got to pick and choose, pick and choose our games, really. And I think it definitely would would be an option. I I, I don't know whether you want to talk about Cavalier now, but I think his fitness is just a concern for me, Connor. I just. Well, we, 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 are, we, we, we you, you can because we were going to talk on that next. Because okay, again, well, we'll talk about that next. It, but, but, but in it, terms, yeah, going back to the original question, three five two definitely. I think that we, I think that will be a viable alternative. We love touching on there, but 
Calvert-Lewin. It, it's a big conundrum, isn't it? Because you know the, the the question still lingers on when is he going to start a match? When is he going to be more than a, you know an off the bench player? Because you know he's been back in the squad now for a couple of weeks. You know he's been training for a, a long time. You know surely Frank Lampard has got to just roll the dice and get him back out there. And and there's no better time to start than Wednesday night at St James's Park. Well, yeah, you'd say that, but he was. I thought his comments were quite interesting on Friday, where they they kind of suggested that you know he wasn't fully training. Would that be fair to say, Bees? You know, I think he was. Yeah, he wasn't in, fully in, involved in every session, was he? But is that you not know, a worry? Don't be alone. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. That that to me sounds like the the nursing him through the week to a certain extent to get him ready for match days. Uh, and like that's not a good position to be in when he's your, your main centre forward. But which to me suggests that is anything going to have happened so much over the four or five days? What maybe probably two, three training days tops since you know, since Spurs to Newcastle on Wednesday to suggest that he'll start. And, you know, you could probably want because this, as Gav touched on earlier, is such an important run of games after Newcastle, isn't that? Before the the World Cup break, which you know. I don't think he'll decide our season far from it, but he'll certainly shape how we're going into the you know the second half of the season after the after the World Cup comes back. I could probably understand if Frank was to err on the side of the caution again for Wednesday and kept him on the bench if there are fitness difficulties. But if if we go to Newcastle and not being pessimistic, lose, which let's face it, they only lost one game all season. Newcastle, they're very very hard to break down. They look a really solid good football team now Newcastle it wouldn't be the biggest surprise in the world if we lost there that would put pressure on the Palace game certainly on Saturday and then was after that Fulham Leicester Bournemouth and if he doesn't start on Wednesday he's surely got to start on Saturday because Everton need him now you know like we've talked about a lack of creativity in this team <clears throat> but and putting Calvert-Lewin in wouldn't solve all those issues far from it because you still need creative players but he would give something if, you know he would give someone to aim for in the box and there'd been a couple of things certainly against United and one or two things against Tottenham that suggested that he will make a big difference when he is fully fit but yeah it, it, it is concerning because he's clearly they can't they can't rely on him to start just yet hopefully that changes over the, the course of the next few days Bees in terms of Calvert-Lewin then because it almost feels to me a little bit like patience is running out from Everton supporters with him a little bit because, you know, most accepted why he wasn't involved against West Ham. Mm-hmm. Most then kind of took it on the chin why he wasn't involved against Southampton. Understandably, he's there on the bench against Man United. But now, you know, we're a couple of weeks down the line and, you know, he's still coming off the bench for little cameos, you know, 20, 20 odd minute cameos. You know, a lot of fans are just kind of saying, well, get him out there if he's, he's either fit or he's not fit. And like we also said, you know, when he gets fully fit, if he's not fully fit, then there's something serious wrong, isn't he? Um, we've got to trust Frank Lampard as, as frustrating as it is for all of us he's not fit and firing and there are those question marks compared to Calvert-Lewin the way he was such a durable player only a couple of years ago um, also we can't be Everton team being picked by um, so, you know, some random lads on Twitter um, you sure no matter what sort of sense of importance that social media platform has given them um, Frank Lampard, who sees Dominic Calvert-Lewin on a day-to-day basis at Finch Farm, um, is in a much greater position than you or I or any of them. And it's frustrating. Yeah, it's frustrating for all of us. You know, we want him to be out there. We want him to be out fit and firing. But now you've got to go. The manager has 
almost quite selflessly at times gone with the the long-term strategy you know uh, you know uh, if he, he could have like, chucked him out there against West Ham when he still wasn't without a win this season said come on Dom I need you today but now he's, he's always taking the bigger picture even if that's you know sort of counted against him on a short-term basis so yeah we are all frustrated and we want to see him out there and until he does have a run of games where he is starting that will always naturally continue but no, I don't. I don't think that we should be be, be uh, picking it because you know whatever, um, Gaz or Daz or Fazin, one <laughs> um, complaining that um, Dom's not starting. And I know that's not disrespecting the supporters in any way, but you know all of us, and that includes you and I as as journalists as well. You know we've got to trust the manager's judgment on these issues. Trust Frank Lampard is the, is the message there from Chris Beasley. Gav, you, you've already said that you're a little bit concerned about what's going on with Calvert-Lewin, but I think it's one of them, isn't it, the minute where everyone is right to have some sort of concern because, you know, ultimately this is Everton's most prolific centre-forward at the club and one of the most yeah. important players who's not playing or yeah, playing, you know, to play from the start. Yeah, yeah. Did you say Gav won there as well, Chris? No, no, <laughs> it, was, it was Gav, wasn't it? It wasn't Gav. Yeah, very, very disappointing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm going to say I'm a bit concerned. Is and I'm not concerned that we're being, you know, told porkies or anything like that. Mm. It's it, I, it, it goes back to Frank saying, was it before the West Ham game that we're not going to play him or he may play, but we want to leave him for the international break and play him, you know, available against Southampton and. And he wasn't available then, and we were thinking maybe it's a bit worse. His condition, and what, what's you know, perhaps he's not developed as you know into his fitness as what he should have done. And then it's just been telling in the last two games we've been trading. He's gone on for what fifteen minutes against United and something similar against Spurs, maybe. Yeah, fifteen. Where yeah, I would have expected them to have been given half an hour at least in both matches, given Frank's comments a month ago. So, I think maybe his, his, his rehabilitation has not gone as smoothly as what they expect. And I'm fully, I think he what was it now to the World Cup four months, four, four months. If it was four months away, it'd be in July, wouldn't it? Yeah. Really? And maybe, <laughs> you know, um, sunning ourselves. But I, I suspect he's just going to be a bit power player between now and the World Cup. Coming on every now and again, I, I don't think Frank will, will risk him. Uh, I think I think he'll use this as part of his rehabilitation and then work on his fitness over the uh, over the four four or five week periods of the World Cup and pray that he, he comes back in in late December far more fitter than what he appears to be at the moment in terms of the amount of game time that he's been given, which has been limited, as you say. By and large, I'd only threat. I'm getting beat by a goal in two matches, and he doesn't really come on. You know, and that that's that's a concern for me. So he's obviously not his, his rehabilitation has not gone as as well as perhaps Frank thought it would have done four or five weeks ago. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Blues have the chance to put things right on Wednesday night. Do you think the trip to Newcastle? But having lost back-to-back games, there's probably no tougher place to go right now, is it, than St James's Park? Bees, I'll move to you. You'll be at St James's Park on Wednesday for the Echo mm. alongside Joe Thomas. Yeah. And like I just said to be low there, 
it's probably one of the last places Frank Lampard must be heading just after consecutive defeats. Yeah, it's a, it was always going to be a tough one having these back-to-back away fixtures in the space of half a week. Was three away games? It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I would certainly go in there with more encouragement than Tottenham. Tottenham has always been a very difficult ground for Everton to go to, and uh, Everton's sort of had a mixed bag against Newcastle over the years. Yes, this is probably one of the toughest times to, to play them there on the crest of the wave, aren't they? After the takeover, just at the first anniversary of that, as we've seen ourselves at Everton, it doesn't always lead to a, a guarantee of, of success, but they're certainly in a position where they can spend quite a lot of money and already already um have have done um it'd be, it'd be, it'd be sort of goes without saying but i think a, a key element would be trying to keep their, their crowd um quiet early on i mean if they could get their tails up very difficult place to go to very very noisy but um if, if everton can contain similar to what they did to Tottenham for for, for a, a, almost an hour um then you, you know you think that there's everton do have a, a chance going into that fixture We'll always thankfully back with us. <laughs> but we'll yeah. no carry on your point. You're going to make about Newcastle there before you were uh, the, the the technology demons got in the way. Yeah, let's hope our performance is better than my internet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I was just saying I'm not a huge fan of Newcastle. Never was, and you know, certainly question marks over the ownership and all that. But you know, you know, grud- begrudgingly, I think they're doing quite well, aren't they? It's almost like. They've looked at Everton, for example, after coming into wealth and actually not making the same mistakes we certainly made, you know, under Cooman and Walsh kind of thing. They've been run quite... They've spent big money this summer, haven't they? But, you know, all the signings seem to be well thought out, you know, and they, they just... You look at the team and even without someone as St. Maximin, who was absolutely unbelievable against those last season, wasn't he, at their place? Uh, they're a really solid outfit with some top players, certainly Guimardes in midfield, there. Uh, I think it's a I think it's a really tough game on Wednesday night, you know, under the lights at St James's, you know, good result for them at the weekend. Not exactly ripping up trees, are they? You know, they're not only one I know they had a comfortable home win over Brentford recently, but they've been, you know, not dissimilar to us in the respect like most of their games have been tight, not many goals in them. Uh but yeah, it's a re- I think this is another real test of our character. I'd be really interested to see what Frank does on Wednesday, because I wonder if he's, you know, Will he try and repeat the the formula that did work for an hour at Spurs, or does uh, does he have to kind of change it as we've been talking about on there on today's pod really? Because on the back of two defeats, uh, you you don't want a third one on Wednesday, however understandable, because it just does put that pressure on to to go into the, the to the Palace game on Saturday. But no, I think it's I think it's going to be a tough night. I think we're going to have to really be on our game really. Gabriel touched on it there in terms of changes. Do you expect change or do you think it'd be more of a case of what we've seen so far this season, given the opposition and given what Everton are going to come up against in terms of the atmosphere and stuff like that? Yeah, uh, possibly not. I mean, the only... I think it's, it's Gordon back, I think, for... Gordon's available, yeah. Gordon's available, isn't he? One game. Possibly... Possibly maybe Gordon for Gray, maybe. Um you know, so maybe Gordon will come in for Gray or maybe McNeil, perhaps. And I'd like to see James Garner being given a start, really, ahead of a Jessica guy. Uh, but I suspect that might be the wrong game to do it on, on Wednesday. That might be, say, against Palace. So, I, I, I think, let's face it, we haven't got many options, but Gordon for one of Gray or McNeil will, will possibly be the change that I could see Frank making if he was going to make one. He might just stay, keep the same team. 
But you didn't expect to see any expect any changes from Frank Lampard. I mean, it could be the one with being the midweek fixture, but like saying it, it could be difficult to say just how you're going to implement. Then you may, it might just be a case of um, fresh legs. I know obviously um, Mason Holgate was uh, was sort of coming back into contention last week, so you've got to wonder with it being a midweek game. You know, Seamus Coleman is 34 years of age now, as much as he's ultra fit. Would you possibly put Holgate in at right back for a midweek month? Maybe. Um, I think it'd be, it'd be more of, um, like I said, the fact that it's two games in a week rather than sort of major tactical switches. Obviously, Gordon comes into the back into the picture, but just wonder. I wondered if it give him the kick up the backside if you did keep him on the bench for for another game and maybe see the best out of him there. It maybe sort of shown that you know he's not been on his top form of late. Right, gents. Before we finish, you know what's to come. Prediction time. We'll all start with you. What, what are you thinking for Wednesday night? I don't think there'll be many goals. I think we won't be as open as we were last season when I think it was 3-1 going on 6-1, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> I, 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 Standard having away performance that last year, we all. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? I think it was like yeah, the Tottenham game. So, like, that, I know Chris and Joe wrote it after the game. It was, it's hard when you've lost 2-0 and you've kind of gone down, not without a fight, but it was pretty limp, wasn't it, the last 20 minutes kind of thing. you definitely seen an improvement in how solid we were going to Tottenham. It was it was not like last season at all, and I'd be very disappointed and surprised if that was if it was a similar on Wednesday against Newcastle. So, not many goals, but try and stay positive and say 1-1. Gav, about yourself? Uh, Ditto. Um, not many goals. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with a drab, goalless, <laughs> goalless draw, which is what you want, Chris, in the midweek game in Newcastle, yeah. in October, isn't it? For Wednesday night, yeah. Wins coming in off the air, the North Sea. Yeah, unfortunately, we'll have a Leighton Baines free kick to uh, yeah. to, to see with me, but yeah, yeah, I think they're okay, Newcastle, but the they're not they're not there yet, are they? In terms of challenging, um, but yeah. Goal of straw for me would be a very, very decent result. Bees, you you gonna you follow on the uh, the draw trend um, or yeah, I'm gonna be positive and, and, and it's relatively positive and say another draw. I mean, I've gone up to Newcastle in the past. I've seen Ross Barkley score that amazing goal that very few players could have scored. I've also seen Everton go from being 2 0 up to lose 3 2 in um, one of Jordan Pickford's more um, eventful <laughs> afternoons. But yeah, uh, hopefully it won't be quite as much drama as that. And I'd settle for 1 1 as Porter. Well, as this is the Royal Blue podcast, <laughs> and, and I know we are all Everton supporters, someone's got to have some proper optimism. And I'm going to go. go a 1 0 win for the Blues yeah. with Anthony Gold getting the goal. There we go. So just, just, add, just add in here um, Newcastle away, of course, can. The greatest game I've ever seen was uh, Boxing Day 1986, New- Newcastle 0-11 for the best um, best display under Howard Kendall, um, certainly in his first spell as manager, whilst I was um, on the Pennines after the car broke down on the way to <laughs> some Ended up in some wacky, wacky place off the A1, then hiking into Leeds. Uh, to get a train home, and of course, the one thing on Boxing Day there are no trains running. Oh. Yeah, it was a long day. <laughs> so, you're saying that's the best performance you never saw from Everton, yeah? Yeah, yeah, 4 0. Right. Yeah, best thing ever, Chris. I phoned my dad up and said, How did we get on? And then they said to me, Dad, he goes, It'd be great, baby, today. It was fantastic. My dad's been Leeds. You went me 1 4 0. I'm like, You know, when it just felt, No. no. <laughs> 
Why didn't you say it was nil nil or one all? <laughs> it was fantastic. You won four nil in there, Mike. And me and my mates on the Pennines in, in like imagine the Pennines in the end of December. It's not exactly the uh, ice of summer, is it? Yeah. And every time like, it was like, American Werewolf in London. That yeah, scene was, it was just awful. <laughs> four seasons in one day, and every time Newcastle away comes up, that is uh, that's the first story I always think of. Nightmare. Hopefully we do make it. Well, yeah, I think B, Bees will be dancing on the time. I think if Everton get a 4 0 win on, on Wednesday night, I think yeah. we'll be <laughs> yeah. we'll be doing the combo around the streets of Newcastle if, if the Blues right. come away 4 0. It's just but lads, we will leave it there. I think we've we've chewed the fast enough over all things Everton. We of course will be back on Friday to look back on Everton's game against Newcastle United on Wednesday night. And of course look ahead to Saturday's huge game against Crystal Palace at Goodison Park as Everton return home for the first time in a couple of games. But for today. Lads, thanks very much for joining me. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.